should I put my jacket on or like keep it off? Like what? I think leave it on. Yeah, okay. It's pretty cold. It is pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah, but so chunky. It is quite chunky. Do you like it? I do. It's very um like soothing. Yeah. And this colour, I don't even know what this is called. I'd call it orange mustard. Yeah, I would call it 1970s kitchen. Love it. Mm. It's like fleece. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. (laughs) How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Also quite well. Indeed. I have a bit of a headache. Oh, that's no good. Yeah. Have you got water? I do have water. Make sure you hydrate. I think it's really important. Thank you, mum. No worries. Mm. Mm. Oh, so exciting to be back here for another episode of My Favourite Musical. My Favourite Musical. Thank you for listening, everyone at home. Yeah. It's great. And this is actually in real life the week that we launched the podcast. Oh, yeah. We launched only a couple of days ago. Yeah. Which is so, yeah, it's actually surreal to have a thing with you in it out there in the world. Super surreal. Yeah. And right now we're number four in Australia in the performing arts category. Are we still number four? Yeah, we are. I checked it this morning. Oh, thank you, everyone. We've got a topple David Tennant does a podcast with. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know I don't that like we're going to get there <laughs> very soon. Because I subscribe to David Tennant Same. does a podcast with. It's a really I'm good podcast. I recommend it to everyone it's listening. so good. And, and he, how charming is he? So charming, such good interview. Especially if you're an actor. Yes. It's, there's some really, really practical acting talk it's, in it's it. It's really all about the craft, isn't it? It the is, craft yeah. Acting. Yeah. Yeah, so if, you, if you're a person like that and you like David Tennant – then get there is a it. random episode with former British Prime Minister Gordon Brown, though. Oh, yeah, that is strange. <laughs> he gets some really random guests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, it's really good. I highly recommend it. Yeah, me So, too. yes, he's, like, near the top. So we're happy to be fourth yeah. after him. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, please, if you are listening, please rate, review, subscribe. Keep us at number four. Yeah, keep us at number four. Yeah, look, we we don't have grand aspirations. Just keep us at number four, please. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, Uh, follow us on Instagram. That's our only social media platform at this stage. Do you think it's going well, the Instagram? Yeah, I think so. Because you're you're actually quite an Instagram queen and I am not. And for some reason, I'm the one in charge of the Instagram. (laughs) It only struck me the other day when I was really crappily posting just whatever shit I could come up with. Just repost all of the musical theatre memes that I post. Yes. Just like steal those. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) But I'm just not a very I'm just not a very good social media person. Probably it's not my anyway. Whereas I'm a total oversharer. So yes, it really should be your job. But you do all the other jobs. So (laughs) it's about time I did something. Sorry, yes, Ruth. read the episode notes. Yeah. If you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, I believe, yeah. then all of the links to cast recordings and things we talk about and everything are in the episode notes. Which actually is a good segue because I um, I am here to apologise for Ooh. way back in our pilot episode where we talked about Into the Woods and Sunday in the Park with George, we may have mentioned that we were going to play uh, the last midnight in German. Oh yes, I definitely said that, and we definitely we didn't. haven't got like, that in the episode. Like you would know if you listen to that episode, it doesn't exist. My husband was really cranky because he was like, "I was waiting for the last midnight in German, and it never came." That is in the show notes. It of is episode one. It is. You can it, the link to the YouTube clip is in the show notes, so <laughs> you can so listen huge. to Last Midnight in German to your heart's content. Yeah, we really lied there. 
We um, did. I also, I haven't told you this yet, Ruth. Embarrassingly, um, from our episode about Jesus Christ Superstar and Hades Town. Oh, yeah. I mentioned in that episode that I had a version of Jesus Christ Superstar that I grew up with as a child and absolutely adored. And I hadn't been able to find that version ever since. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So I got some messages from people and... I actually discovered that the version that I was listening to that I could, in inverted commas, never find was the original studio cast. Oh, my God. So where I said I've been looking and looking and never found the version, it was just the original version. It was the <laughs> very first version. Of I the love Jesus that, that in, in your, you know, in inverted commas, research to find this version, you Obviously didn't bother didn't listening look... to the original recording. Yeah, so when I say I looked really hard to find it, I clearly didn't because <laughs> I didn't listen to the original recording. That is hilarious so i'm just happy to be reunited with murray head and all the other amazing people yeah. in that original studio cast that's Ugh. hilarious idiot i'm an idiot <laughs> i probably could have told you that if you just played me your version <laughs> i know but i couldn't find my version i Ruth. know that's true that's true um i have sad news for you as well Ooh. the australian um production of Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish has been cancelled. Oh, Did you I saw see that? that? And also Light in the Piazza. Oh. It's, yeah, it's, look, it was going to be such a good year this year in Australia. Opera Australia were doing like four musicals, which don't get me wrong, they're an opera company. Maybe some people don't agree with that. But me as a musical theatre fan, I was very excited. And, um, yeah, they've now had to, a brand new, they did Brand New Day at the beginning of the year, but, I mean, most of that tour has been now cancelled. They were only like two episodes. They were only two seasons in, sorry. Um, Tell me, did you buy a subscription this year for yeah. that very reason? Yeah. Because of all the musicals? I did. And oh. basically it's all been cancelled now. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, so there was Light in the Piazza with Renee Fleming was going to come yeah. out for that and this the Yiddish film. I mean, I'm hoping that some of these will come back next year like or, or the year after, you know, that they'll be able to reprogram them yeah, for later dates. But, but I guess they events. can't say it's definitely postponed no. unless they know for sure when they can do it. So, yeah. It's really sad. It is really sad. I was really looking forward to that being on. Yeah, I had a few friends involved in it and now they've sort of lost another gig, which is just, yeah, it's tough. Tough times for all of us. Well, um, and this week they announced that Frozen on Broadway won't be reopening oh, when wow. Broadway reopens. Yeah, the other day. So that's pretty huge. That's a big deal. Yeah, and I mean, I think they just changed cast. Like I think mm. the original cast had sort of like the leads had just left. Imagine you just new... got your gig on right? Broadway. Well, I think the I think the Anna was straight out of like college. This is her debut. Yeah. Oh, gosh, awful. that's heartbreaking, yeah, really awful. hard. Oh. So I think it's just the economics involved in reopening such an expensive show. Yeah. I think they just realised yeah. it wasn't possible. Well, so I've been like ruminating on this a lot because obviously at the moment in our situation here in Australia, um, we've managed to flatten the curve of COVID-19 and restrictions are starting to ease. Correct. But I cannot imagine in the near future a time when we will be happy to sit in a theatre with mm. hundreds of people you know, and of while course, this is still happening. The other thing, I think the thing that people like the general public don't really think about when they're thinking about things reopening is that there's so many more variables when we're talking about live theatre. So it's not just about the audience sitting and, you know, social distancing and things yeah. like that. It's also that on stage yeah. people kiss yeah. and they have to be close to each other and yeah. things like this. And not just that, but the 
especially when we're talking about Australia, the amount of commercial things that we see in Australia or even non-commercial where the creatives involved are not Australian. So mm. have to be flown Traveling. from America or, you know, Europe or whatever. Yeah. And right now our borders aren't open. Yeah. So they so can't much, come. There are just so many steps between us getting, between now and us getting back yeah. to live theatre. Yeah. It's, it, it's starting to really stress me out that I just can't see when. Well, I know that so so Frozen in Australia has now announced that like so they were due to open I think in June or July. So they've now announced that that's been postponed till the 1st of December. Okay. I mean that's the first sort of commercial musical that I'm aware of that's, that's sort announced of, a date. Yeah, okay. Exactly. All right, well, fingers crossed for December everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> can't can't wait. I mean, no, I, I don't no. know about you, but I'm just missing it more missing than it so much. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ruthie. <laughs> it's, it's a long time for me, guys. You look so desolate <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up. That's Do you okay. have any other news of the week? I've been listening to – I was just thinking about what I'd been listening to this week. And were you ever a big Striking 12 fan when you were younger? Oh, maybe. That's the Little Match Girl musical, yeah, right? So if, if you guys don't know this, people listening, it was – I guess it went through a little period. It did. A heyday yeah, um, in had musical theatre fandom probably about 10 years ago. And – it, it is, yeah, it's only three people that are in it yes. and they're also the band. So it's, it, and it's written by a band. Yeah. So it's, um, it's three people and they're telling the story of the little match girl. Um, the but worst like a story modern, of all time. So well, it's a, it's a downer, but they Ugh. acknowledge that in the show. It's not sort Oof. of, you know. But I used to have a children's book of the little match girl and I remember always thinking, why do I have this? Yeah. It's just so sad. <laughs> so many of those Hans Christian Anderson just stories awful. are such a downer. And I won't even get started about my children's book called The Moon's Revenge that I had. Oh, oh terrifying. Had so many nightmares about oh my The goodness. Moon's Revenge. Yeah. I've never heard anyway. of that. Awful. But, yeah, so Striking 12, and it is – it's such a banger. I can't tell you. It's really? such a great show. I, I, I love that show so much. It's yeah. – it's um I think – so I think it's keys, like keyboards, drums, and electric violin, and then those three people are also singing the show. That's cool. And, yeah, it's just great. It's sort of rocky and yeah. – um. So you've been re-listening? Yeah. Now, it's not on Spotify. Oh. I, I've had a few albums that I've had, like, campaigns. I've written to Spotify. I've written to the, oh my to God, the CD companies to try and get them to release them because there are there are cast recordings. Like, that cast recording, I, I have the physical CD, yeah. but I have no way of legally digitally listening to that recording in Australia. Wow. It's not available on iTunes. It's not available on Spotify. Mm. My only option is to listen to the physical CD, of which I do not have a CD player anywhere except my car, and yeah, right now course. I'm not going anywhere. And so I have it, yeah, like in MP3 form <laughs> and listen to it like that on my phone. But, yeah, and so I have written to some of these companies and I asked love them that, to put I them on. I love that you've written to them. I really want them available for people Good to listen you. to. Yeah. Anyway, I think you can listen to it on YouTube if nothing else. Okay. Yeah. So striking twelve. Yes. Ooh. Definitely worth a listen. What, what about you? I've been listening to. Um, I've been listening to a bit of music this week. I've been listening to the cast recording of the show I'm going to talk about this Excellent. week. Excellent. Um, what else? Podcasts. Ah, oh, just the huge more episodes of My Favorite Murder. Yep. Criminal. Case file. All my faves. <laughs> true crime. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, true crime. Yeah. Give me a good story about a serial killer. I love it. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I'm very true crime focused as well as Josephine. I'm, I'm also very into my interview podcast. So yeah, WTF with Mark Maron, the Conan O'Brien podcast. I love Mark Maron. Yeah, he's and sadly his um, partner died on Friday. <gasps> oh, I didn't yeah, know that. she's quite a well-known um, indie filmmaker director, um, Lynn Shelton, and she's directed actually a lot of 
episodes of television that you would have oh, seen that's as well. tragic. Was yeah, it awful. It was a, coronavirus No, it was a blood disorder that oh, was not God. diagnosed. So terrible. I mean, that's just awful. terrible. Yeah, that, that got announced this morning. So, oh, poor man. But, yeah, he must be devastated, of, of course. Of course, yeah. of course. She was oh, like 50, 52, 54, something like that. Jeez. Yeah, awful. Oh, we're, we're – I know, really... I'm sorry, but I figured it was worth saying. Yeah, and, I mean, we're not about – Glossing over the truth, are No, we? Hmm. not – I mean, it, it's a really serious, in-depth musical theatre. <laughs> you know? I think nothing says serious to me like musical theatre, Ruth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's first this week? Well, I went second last week, so can I go first? Absolutely. All right, guys, are you ready? Um, my musical today is Oklahoma! Exclamation point. Oklahoma! Exclamation <laughs> point. Um, this – Okay, I meditated like long and hard on why Oklahoma is on my list. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I have too. <laughs> yeah, right? And anyone I mention it to is probably thinking the same thing. So unlike, say, Town, which is sort of this sublime, perfect musical score, or Fiddler on the Roof that's like a relevant, um, interesting family story, Oklahoma is, I think, just pure nostalgia. Like I, right. think, I think that's it. That you grew up listening to it. Yes, that I literally um, – because really like it's really out of date it is shockingly out of date it's all (laughs) it's also a little bit pedestrian maybe to be honest oh interesting I know controversial but it my brother and I used to watch the movie musical the 1955 musical with Gordon McRae and Shirley Jones we used to watch it obsessively like we would make my mum make her I mean she would go to the video store and she would just like return Oklahoma and then rehire Oklahoma on VHS it would just like we would just have it out constantly I do have a very clear memory of you at about 15 or 16 just being obsessed with Gordon McRae like nothing else I don't think I'm over it I have such a crush on Gordon McRae (laughs) such a crush I think he is honestly so beautiful yeah I know it's weird it's really weird he's very handsome and he has a beautiful baritone voice Anyway, so. I'm happy for you. I still think it's weird. <laughs> it is a bit weird. It is. I made um, I made Shane watch Oklahoma with me again. Oh, recently, did you? And he was like, "Can you just stop saying Gordon McRae over and over?" <laughs> I was like, "I didn't realize." I Why was. is Mrs. McRae written in this notebook? <laughs> <laughs> Gordon loves Joseph. Yes. <laughs> oh God. He was actually like he was like an alcoholic and anyway, oh yeah, well, probably good that you not in love with him in real life. Then that's true. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think he died in the eighties. Anyway. Ooh. So Nick and I, my little brother, we knew the words to every single song. We skipped the dream ballet, of course, because we were kids, um, but we just adored it. So anyway, Oklahoma is written by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II. Ooh. Um, it was actually their very first musical, which I, don't, I'm, I assume everyone knows everything about Oklahoma. So I'm just, all of this is academic, but I'm saying it was their very first musical. And I think their best, which... <sighs> I agree, but Ooh. I would say a lot of people disagree with us about that. I think that. a lot of people would say The Sound of Music is their best. Um, yeah, interesting. What would you think? Like what do you think people would say was their best? Yeah, no, I think I think I agree. I think that most people would say The Sound of Music. Yes. I agree with you that Oklahoma is their best, yes. but I think most people would say The Sound of Music. Mm, I still really like The Sound of Music. We'll probably talk about that here, but mm. Oklahoma is their best. Um, it's certainly better than that one that shall not be named. Oh, um, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about Carousel. Oh, yes, you do hate Carousel. <laughs> I, hate I forgot. I think I hate Carousel more than State Fair, which is saying a lot because State Fair is bleh. Yeah, see, some of those, like I I don't know State Fair at all. No, well, why would you? Yeah. 
I don't think it's also like it's not something that you do see on stage. I don't know Flower Drum Song at all. No, or they did a Cinderella as well, didn't they? I actually know the Cinderella quite yes, well because my school well. performed it. And didn't they made a movie of it, right? Wasn't that the one with Lauren with Hill? Br- with Brandy. Oh, Brandy. Yeah, Brandy in like the late 90s. 90s yeah. And Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, was it? Oh, was she maybe? the fairy godmother? I think. Oh, I think God, she was. No, I'm not sure. But it was like it was actually quite groundbreaking at the time. It was yeah. an incredibly diverse cast for yes. one thing. Um, I, yeah, it's great. It's like great. Definitely go find it and watch it. I maybe have never seen it. Like, oh, it's I know great. of it. Anyway. Yeah. So Oklahoma's their best one. It's actually based on a play uh, written by Lynn Riggs in 1931 called Green Grow the Lilacs, which was actually, interestingly, a trivia question that you uh, gave us <laughs> lately, Ruth. <laughs> it is. So the plot of Oklahoma, it's set in um, farming country outside the town of Claremore in what was Indian Territory in 1906. So this is before Oklahoma joined the like the Union. Right. So the story is really focused on this farm girl. Her name's Laurie Williams and she has like two sort of suitors. One of them is a cowboy whose name is Curly McLean um, and the other one is this like terrifying farmhand whose name is Judd Fry. So basically it's like um, oh, there is a secondary story between a cowboy whose name is Will Parker and his like sort of flirtatious love um, whose name is Ado Annie and there's like shenanigans between and lots of other stuff but basically that's the plot. Um, the whole backdrop is really against this like westward expansion and, and yes, statehood and it's about like, you know, Oklahoma joining the Union eventually and, and sort of what, what that period of time was for America. Um, the show... If you've seen that, I, I think it's called That's Entertainment. You know that like oh yeah, yeah. that really long um, old VHS of yep. like the history of MGM and musicals and stuff. After Showboat, Oklahoma was sort of the first musical as we know them today. Like it was the first ever um, musical to really incorporate dance, songs and acting where every one of those elements actually progressed the storyline. Yeah. So where musicals before then was sort of like variety shows almost. So you'd have like a dance and then you may have like a little act and then there'd be a big chorus number, but none of them would necessarily develop character or advance storyline. Yeah. This is now suddenly where we have that. Well, even if you think about, say, like Anything Goes, for example, yeah. is pre-Oklahoma. Yes. But again, it's still like Cole Porter wrote essentially songs that could be transplanted and put in any other show. Exactly. And even if you think of like pal joey which was also richard rogers but with lorenz hart it's the same sort of thing like there are a lot of really standard standard songs that are put to like here's a dance number and here's a little here's a little scene but this was the first time we really had like organic um dance numbers that actually were part of the story or were relevant to character and all of that sort of stuff and and songs that actually told a story that progressed the story um which i think is super interesting so it actually also started the golden age of musicals, yeah. which is like sort of it's popular, popularly known as sort of the 1940s to about to really when Hair came out. Yeah. So it's like the late 60s is sort of the end of this golden age and then we had that sort of revolutionary Hair. Um, so, yeah, this is really the very beginning. So in that way, like Oklahoma was totally groundbreaking. Yeah. Like just really changed the game. Yeah. 
Um, it's actually, so there was a revival last year. It celebrated its 75th anniversary. So it's, it's an right. old musical. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know we say, I can say 1943, which is when it um, opened on Broadway, but to say 75 years, obviously if you're a maths head, that would make sense to you, but <laughs> I need to have those numbers. Yeah. 75 yeah. years is a long time. So, um, Rogers and Hammerstein had both previously worked with like high profile people. So Richard Rogers had collaborated with Lorenz Hart on Pal Joey, Babes in Arms and a couple of others. Um, and Hammerstein had written the words on the desert song and he also wrote on oh, yeah. showboat as yeah. well um he actually even shared an oscar for his work with um uh, jerome kern okay i can't remember the name of the song but so he like he they'd both done quite a lot they were of work. established basically. they were established yeah, yeah. although hammerstein had had like maybe six consecutive flops before right, oklahoma okay. and so they sort of they teamed up they sort of found this common ground where they they could really write their stuff in the way that they always wanted to. So um, the way they would write is that Hammerstein preferred to write completed song lyrics before there was any music. Okay. And Richard Rogers preferred to have completed song lyrics before he wrote the music. Perfect. Perfect symbiosis. Yeah. Where previously they hadn't sort of had partnerships like that. Um, the show was originally called Away We Go! Exclamation point. Yep. <laughs> um, in 1943, it opened for Out of Town Tryouts in the Schubert Theatre in New Haven. Which, oh, yeah. If you're a fan of Elaine Stritch at Liberty, yeah. is the is the theatre where she was in um, Call Me Madam on Broadway, but then in Pal Joey at the Schubert Theatre in New Haven. And she had to go between the two, like famously drive from right. New York City to New Haven and then back again. Okay. Yeah. It's anyway, watch, I'll listen to Elena Stritch at Liberty and you'll understand. Um, no one had really very high expectations of the show, like in when it was doing its out of town tryouts. I think because like it was bucking so many traditions, like. Well, and they weren't famous as a writing no, pair, right? No, yeah. like this is a brand new pair of people and there were no stars in the show. Like there were like Rogers and Hammerstein sort of said famously that they wanted actors who could sing, not like famous singers right. to be in their show. So they yeah. really wanted to focus on the story and the storytelling. So there were no stars. Um, also like this idea of integrating story into the whole thing, it was so like it was really a, a completely new idea so no one really had high expectations and it did get pretty modest reviews in its tryouts so the two main changes that they made while it was in New Haven was they added the title number Oklahoma. yeah isn't that amazing I know it's just like it's so common as well yes. that some something that you think is so integral to the show yeah gets added right at the last minute well, well there was one with Into the Woods right like wasn't it no, no one, one is, is alone. alone well and the really famous one is funny thing happened on the way to the forum yeah is that it was doing its out-of-town tryouts and I I can't remember where, but um, it was getting terrible. Like, oh, no. no, everyone hated it. Everyone, like, the audience reactions were yeah. terrible. It was selling badly. And then they wrote Comedy Tonight for the oh beginning. The most iconic which, song. Which sets up that you're seeing, like, a play within a play yes. and all that. Like, and and just sets up the world that you're going to be in. Yeah. And and after that, like, standing ovations every night. Yes. And it became this huge hit. I wondered, too, like, as, a, as a, a person who's writing a musical, what that must, the pressure that that must put you under when your show is that you thought was completed is not getting good reviews, but then you have somehow throw, yeah. flourished under the pressure and you write the best song of right. the show. And that's, that <laughs> becomes kind of the iconic yes. song from the show as well. Yeah. So they wrote Oklahoma the song and then they also changed the title to Oklahoma. Right. Exclamation mark. 
Um, and that apparently was all they needed because then they opened um, at the St. James Theatre to rave reviews. Like it sold out completely. It received this special Pulitzer Prize. It ran for um, over 2,000 performances. Like it was just like. The St. James is where Frozen was. Oh. Yeah. It's St. a beautiful James- theatre. Oh, yeah, it would yeah. be. Of course, I don't know any of that. Yeah. Um, the Tony Awards didn't actually exist yet. I love, yeah, amazing. So it didn't get, obviously it didn't win any awards because the Tony Awards didn't um, and start so got until And so a special 47. Pulitzer, did you say? Yeah. Like okay. It, like it didn't exist. M- maybe there wasn't the Pulitzer Prize for drama then or something. No, well, I think I think that's the case. I okay, didn't, yeah. I didn't really delve into that. Someone can tell us. Um, I actually don't know how many productions of Oklahoma have existed in the history of the world, but I can just imagine it's in the thousands. Oh, like, yeah. I found some references in articles to like in America there's more than 100 productions a year and I can just only yeah. imagine how many times this show's been performed. I'm sure. Which is, yeah, like it's always, there's always some revival on, on Broadway or like there's always a production of Oklahoma happening. I've personally seen it. I've never seen it professionally, but I've seen it like in an amateur production Probably more than five times, I would say. Did you see it when my husband Andrew played Judd? You know, I did. It <laughs> was, was his last time on stage, was and it? it was like twelve years ago. Oh yeah, he was great. He was a good Judd. Yeah. yeah, he's got that intensity, and he had a beard. He helps. did have a beard. He still does. He does. He still does. <laughs> um, the yeah, I think it's like beloved by amateur societies because it's like it's very well known. It's got an ensemble cast. There's lots of big numbers that people are familiar with, so it's just likely to be yeah. produced over and over. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you, you can chime in Ruth, cause I know you'll know a lot about this, but the latest Broadway revival, um, for Oklahoma's 75th anniversary was staged at Circle in the Square Theatre, which we talked about last week. Cause that's for where Spelling Bee. Yep. Spelling Bee was, um, which is a thrust stage. So there was like audience on either side. It was directed by Daniel Fish and it just like changed the whole face of Oklahoma. It, it was, yeah. It yeah. was like watching a different show. Yes. So obviously I didn't see it. I've seen a lot of like YouTube videos and I've listened to the cast recording obsessively, but I've read a lot of a lot of commentary on it. Um, the, some of the best ones I read were on uh, The New Yorker, theconversation.com and vulture.com. Okay. Some really interesting articles about how this production changed Oklahoma. Mm. Um but it really it won um, it won the Tony Award for Best Revival last year. Yeah. And it's called, as you mentioned last, it's frequently called the Oklahoma that fucks. I just love that. Because it's so sexy. It's so sexy. Yeah. Like I watched one clip for about 30 seconds on YouTube and I was just like fanning myself. Yeah. It was super sexy. Um, I actually think it's groundbreaking for more reasons than just being sexy. Yes. So I'm going to get into that. Um, if we step back to the original Oklahoma, it's quite problematic. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm not, let's not let's not wash over here. No, definitely not. I feel nostalgia about the musical, but I can certainly see why it's problematic. So, it, it, consider that it really came along in the midst of World War II. So, it's yep. 1943. The war is raging. I get that maybe the intention was to be a bit of froth for an audience, right? And maybe to really portray America as like this, you know, really bright, cheery, um, everything's great, everything's whitewashed sort of. Right. Sort of, I, I get that. Not that I agree with it or think it's right, but it really does very blindly disregard Native or African Americans. Yep. Considering, too, that they were featured quite heavily in the original play. So the original oh. play, Greek oh, Grow the Greek Lilacs. Oh, in Greek Grow the Lilacs, right. Yeah, had, well, mentioned, like, of course, that, the actual place where Oklahoma is set is like deep in Cherokee Nation. So you just sort of can't avoid the fact that there were a lot of really violent clashes happening at the time. It was like right in Indian Territory. Right. 
And on top of that, at the time, and obviously a lot of characters in Oklahoma are cowboys, at the time in that area, one in four cowboys were black. Right. So somehow, though, in the musical. Yeah, just all of that disregarded. Is gone. Yeah. Just forget about it. So, but um, I just, yeah. What is interesting, though, is that the character of the antagonist, Judd Fry, seems to sort of then like it's like the embodiment of all of these non-white characters right? in a way that is just super problematic because like, well, actually don't even start me on the Persian character. Oh, yes. Yeah. Let's not even go there for now. But like Judd Fry likes to drink. He lives in squalor. He looks at porn all the time. And, like, at the end he sort of poetically falls on his knife and everyone is happy because he dies like it, it's such a it's such a convenient in inverted commas way to just package up all of the non-white elements of the musical into one antagonistic character yeah who like in the original he's, he's causing all the problems so let's just kill him and no one there's no repercussions right. like it's a really when you look at it that way it's pretty awful yeah um but what they did in the revival like cuz I, I didn't see it Ruth you did apparently what they did was like highlight the, that problem, that American problem of white versus other really well yeah. without actually changing any of the original libretto. That's what was kind of so incredible about it. Yes. So one of the reviews I read was like uh, whoever this reviewer was came away saying, I was so I felt so differently about Oklahoma after I watched this that I opened up the, the libretto to find what they had changed because yeah. I felt so differently to find that they actually hadn't changed anything. Yeah, yeah. Like all of – all of the um, the darkness exists in the play and yep. the musical already. And people just wash over it normally. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that next bit. Get yeah. to that happy song. Yeah, let's get to this big rousing number. So um, I think maybe what's interesting is that maybe the narrative, that narrative was always there. Like it was always intended to be highlighted, but somehow maybe it just got lost in like Hollywood golden age backdrops and, you know, really – saturated colour grading and just stuff that like I do wonder because you can't really you can't create issues out of something that isn't there yeah but the fact that that real marginalization of the character of Judd Fry is perhaps commentary in itself Mm. so I do I wonder about that was it it was it played by a non-white person originally well in the the only reference I could find was that in the film there is some sort of line and I don't have the exact line where Curly makes a comment about the colour of Judd's skin being okay. not quite white. Right, like he has okay. like a darker toned skin. Okay. That's the only reference I can find but there is certainly like in the film the the actor who plays Judd Fry, I can't remember his name, he's actually really, um, he's like an Oscar winning actor. Um, he has this sort of like indeterminate indeterminate right, accent and okay. like there's definitely an implication right okay there that he is ethnically something not yeah, the same not as everyone Caucasian. else yeah, exactly yeah um but yeah one thing interestingly i will mention ali hakim now there's a there's a character of a persian peddler um and if you rewatch the film now the character of ali hakim seems to actually be the only one in the whole musical with any sense or intelligence at yeah. all it's almost like he's well, I think it's really interesting that Rogers and Hammerstein chose this character to be like the truth teller. Yeah. So um, in the in that revival, I mean, he was probably my, if not my favourite part, definitely one of my favourite parts oh, yeah. about it because obviously when it's normally done, well, until recently, someone would be doing a quite a racist Persian accent yeah. on stage um, and making it into a caricature of a person mm. rather than, you know, a real character. 
And what was great was that instead his line readings, instead of being these sort of like I'm this wacky Persian character, would instead be these quite dry, sarcastic. And and the fact that he was Persian yes. kind of had nothing to do with his character yes. in this production. So it was just these like very dry and it was like that. Like he was the one who was like, what the fuck are you yes. all doing kind well, of thing. It's only that I watched, like after reading all these reviews, I watched that film again and, yes, he's Persian but you're right, what is written there is actually there's no reference to him being Persian. No. As there's no disparaging comments made about his ethnicity, he's really the truth teller. He's really the one yeah. they're going, what are you doing? Like, yep. You're a bunch of morons. Yeah. I found that really interesting and I, I don't know enough about the history of um, Arabs in in the US at all. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the context of that decision was on the part of Rogers and Hammerstein, mm. but I find that today contextually very interesting. Yes, definitely. Um, so I thought that was that was cool. And I I don't really know how to address the issue of Adoeni, the character. Yeah. So the secondary storyline is between Adoeni and Will, who Adoeni is the one who sings that famous song, I Can't Say No, which is really her talking about how she, you know, she really loves men and she loves attention from men. And, and if a man is sort of, you know, wooing her, then she's going to go along with it because she really enjoys, like maybe she's, she's quite a sexual being and she enjoys that attention. And for a long time I used to think that was quite progressive because there was this woman who otherwise wasn't being uh, negatively sort of portrayed because of her sexuality. Yeah. So there's nothing really in the script that shows that Ada Wenny is like a horrible slut. Like she's never really portrayed that way. She just really likes men and attention from men. Right. But I was speaking to my husband about it and he's like, yeah, but she's always subject to men. Like her character revolves around the way men around oh, her. Oh, yeah. Which is, of course, like, of course that's exactly. And, and, and isn't the whole thing as well, it's like, oh, now I'm with Will Parker, like I'm going to settle down kind yeah. of thing. like, and oh, now I've got this wonderful cowboy white yeah. man, I'm going to settle down and be, yeah, I don't know, I think it's pretty problematic. I mean, like. Like every musical written well, yeah. around that time. I mean, there were no, there are really no like strong female characters written into it, but I don't know if we expect that. Mm. But the other thing I think is that we don't necessarily have to enjoy Oklahoma because it's from another time. Like we don't have to say, well, it's from the 1940s, so that's fine. It was fine then. We don't have to say that. No. We can still say Oklahoma actually is pretty problematic. And I love that a product, a recent production has actually addressed that. Yes. And has, because apparently, and you can back this up, Laurie in that production is quite a strong powerhouse of a character. Yeah, and, and I Curly's don't, like a dum dum. Yeah, and I don't just mean like literally. Obviously, Laurie is quite that classic soprano role, right? Yeah. So Rebecca Naomi Jones, who played it, I mean, she's belting half the time. Yeah, like she's it's literally it a different vocal take on the role as well. Still yeah. the same notes. Yeah, because if know? you listen to like Shirley Jones do it, she's got that beautiful soprano, very soft, very feminine. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, Rebecca Naomi Jones just like she just guns it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's strong, and it's. It's really like... And Rebecca Naomi Jones is African-American herself. Yes. You know, there's quite it's quite a diverse cast in that sense as well. Well, yeah. I mean, the woman who played Ada Wenny was the first actress to win a Tony Award who was in a wheelchair. That's right. So, and she was actually... Is her name Ali Stoker? Yes, that's yeah. it. Uh, Stoker? Stro oh, I'm so sorry. I don't um, have it written down, but yes. Yeah. And she was also... So she'd been on Broadway in the Spring Awakening revival that was on a couple of years before. Oh. And when she was in that, she was the first ever... Performer in a wheelchair in a Broadway musical. Wait, no, really? Yeah. So until very recently we haven't had. Yeah. So it wasn't just that that was massive that she won a Tony. I mean, like literally she was She's it. a couple of years before. Yes, it's her. Oh, wow. Yeah. In Man. a musical, I can't say that for sure about plays, but in a musical. 
sometimes I just despair. It's at crazy. How we are, we lack so much diversity. And they would talk um, to her in interviews, and I would see interviews with some of the other cast members and things. And specifically, I'm thinking when she did Spring Awakening, that was in one of the more traditional older theatres. Yeah. For example, like there's a, a say a basement area which was sort of their green room where they would do like birthday cakes for people and things like that. Well, she of course, there's no there. there's no accessibility yeah. anywhere in that theatre. So they would her chair would stay upstairs and they would carry her down. Oh, see, that you know? is not ideal. Yeah. It's That's crazy. Awful. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess she's probably used to it and they are very I mean She's an interesting woman. She's such an incredible person, by the way. Definitely, you know, Google her and um, listen to. She's got a she's beautiful and voice, and she's too. so talented. She's very this is the talented. Thing. She was on the Glee project, I think. Oh yeah, but she was um, she was in a car accident when she was very young. So she had had a life of being able bodied yeah. and then being in a car accident and losing that ability. And I think her dad's a motivational speaker. Wow. And so I, I just think she had this amazing attitude and has always had that, but she's an incredible person. Yeah, wow, what a hero. Yeah. With such a, like, just from what I've seen of the revival, the cast is dynamic and diverse and it doesn't, it just, it only adds, like, you know, just to have such diversity amongst your cast just really adds to layers of complexity, I think, that don't exist in those productions. Yeah. Uh, So... When I was when I was researching this, Ruth, I probably could have written like seventy pages of yep. stuff. Like I know there's heaps I haven't spoken about because I could. There's just seventy five years of history is a yeah. lot, so I'm just glossing over the stuff that I don't want to talk about. And yeah, I'm, but for me, Oklahoma means like a few things, but it's really it's it is joyous in parts, and it does make you think in parts, and it has entertaining songs. And particularly if we're going to start to see revivals like what what was in what was on Broadway last year, I think it's an exciting sort of indictment about what what we could make out of some of these old musicals. Yes, definitely. That would otherwise just be offensive, just be pure offense. Well, there was that My Fair Lady revival two three years ago now, where it was the first time. So you know, normally at the end of My Fair Lady, she he yeah she says he says, oh, "Where's my blasted slippers or whatever?" Yeah. And she grabs them and they sit on the couch, and that's the end of the show, yeah. right? Um, this was the first time that a professional production she left she walked out amazing and that was the first time that's ever happened because if you've seen my fair lady he's not the nicest man to he's her he's awful and just know. treats her like a rag doll yeah well, if exactly. you know the george bernard Shaw pygmalion yeah. as well like yeah yeah so i think it's an exciting it's an exciting comment anyway on where we could possibly go yeah and how we could at least have discussions about well no we don't have to just sit back and take these old musicals you know like no it's not okay to do blackface or it's maybe exactly. it's not okay to do the mikado anymore we need to rethink these yeah things. and like musical theater should be a reflection of the it, it, it's always going to be a reflection of the current society. Yes. It's, you can't just say, well, this was written in the 40s, so I'm going to perform it like it was exactly. like we're there. Exactly. And so I'm, well, then I don't really... use mics. No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Try I and belt that. that out to the back of the room. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't listened to Oklahoma, which I just don't think is anyone here, but if you need a gateway song, I think – any, literally anything from the Broadway revival yeah. because it is so beautifully done. Like the orchestrations, like it's quite a, a pared back. And that's really what they changed, right? They yes. changed the orchestrations quite substantially. Definitely because it was quite a small, it was more like a blues, like almost like a bluegrass band yeah. um, accompanying the show. And it's funny when you think about it because it's it's like, well, yeah, of course Oklahoma should have a bluegrassy yes. sort of sound. But Why of would course there be flutes it's, it's normally Oklahoma. an enormous symphony orchestra playing yes. it. But, yeah, I, I really loved, like I, I was showing Shane 
the soundtrack and he's like, oh, a slide guitar. Of course, yeah. of course there would be a slide guitar in Oklahoma. That makes a lot and of sense. they were on stage as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that. Revival. See, once again, musicians really being asked to do a lot of yes, shit on true. Broadway. Um, but yeah, I think definitely listen to the Broadway revival. I really loved People Will Say We're In Love, which is oh, yeah. a, like a famous duet between Curly and Laurie. Um, it is cheese on toast. Like the song itself is cheese on toast. But <laughs> They just managed to make it so sexy. Yeah. Um, I also love the song Oklahoma. Yeah. Because and mainly because it, just from a musical standpoint, it's got this amazing like sweeping ascending melody that then like huge crescendos that just it really actually just sweeps you away. Like yeah. I understand why that song is the showstopper because yes. even just musically, the formula that they've they've really written to, it does get your heart pumping. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. that's Oklahoma. Amazing. My So my only Oklahoma fact that might not even be true <laughs> is that until Oklahoma, the art form was called the musical comedy. Yes, correct. And then after Oklahoma, that was when they just called it a musical. That is 100% correct. Yeah. Well, so there were a lot of people in that original triad who were like, I don't understand how this is a musical comedy. Yeah, right. And so Rodgers and Hammerstein had to be like, well, it, it's not really. It's not a musical comedy. No. It's not the, it's not the formula that you know. It's very different. Yeah, and of course – now we just call them musicals. Yeah. Yeah. It, I love it really that. is because of this show. It yeah. really is. Like it, it was groundbreaking in that way. And I just love that it's getting some fresh air breathed into it. Because it does mean so much for us as a community. Yeah. Did you listen to the Hugh Jackman recording? You know that I didn't. <laughs> Because I mean, it's just amazing because it's Hugh Jackman before he was famous. I do love that. Like, I love, I love that he got a gig doing yeah, Curly back with in the a day. But uh, it. But that production was just Oklahoma, right? Yes, that it is just Oklahoma. It is, I mean, it was good for the 90s, I yeah. think. But, yes, it is. It is Oklahoma in the way that you would imagine Oklahoma is. It was still very fresh, I would say. But it's not mm. turning – it's certainly not turning a light on the problematic no. nature of the show. And, of course, I'm not saying that it had to happen in the 90s, but we, we know better now. So I don't need to be watching that. Like I'm, I'm probably not going to watch the film again, to be honest. Yeah, interesting. After really meeting. You don't need to. You've seen it 7,000 times. I actually have. And also after meeting the revival, I don't really need to go back to that. Yeah. 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 So. Interesting. That's your new love then. It really is. Damon Duano, who plays Curly, is on the, so, you know, Town that you did. Yes, the I off-Broadway do. recording. Yeah. He's, he's. Um, well, you actually see it when you Orpheus. watch him because he, he plays guitar. So he, he looks like Orpheus. Like he just looks like yeah. a cowboy version of Orpheus. He's got beautiful Orpheus. voice. Beautiful tone. Yeah. They all do though, that whole recording. Yeah. It's available on Spotify if you um if you want to have a little. Unlike listen. Striking 12. <sighs> Far out. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So that's Excellent. The, what have you got Oklahoma. today for us, Rick? Well, this could be controversial because I think I know how Josephine feels about this show. Oh, no. This week I'm doing Rent. Uh, ah, we'll get into that, I'm sure. I think oh, – was that the time I've got to oh. go? <gasps> oh, dear. Look, let's start here. All right. Ready. So it's based on Puccini's opera La Boheme, as you may know. Yes. And essentially Rent tells the story of a group of artists, creatives, uh, living in the East Village in Lower Manhattan in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Uh, it takes place over the course of a year from Christmas Eve of one year to Christmas Eve of the following year. And essentially it's about this group of friends grappling with, you know, remaining true to their art or selling out, you know, falling in and out of love and for several of the cast trying to live a life with HIV, AIDS. And evading their rent. Correct. Now... Why I chose this show, <laughs> I started doing community theatre in 1999 when I was 11 
And it was, you know, the musical mm. that everyone was listening to. Yeah. And it was – I was 11. I was one of the younger members of the cast and all of the older members of the cast, of course, were obsessed with Rand. And I was in grade seven at the time. It was, I guess, the beginning of my becoming – really into yeah um into theater Mm. in terms of my own tastes of what Mm. you know theater is things like that and I remember that I got a gift voucher for HMV for my birthday that's a CD store Uh, yeah for those who don't know okay I don't was it ever in the US I don't know know. but yes it doesn't exist in Australia anymore no and uh and going to Erin HMV and buying the double CD with my birthday gift voucher and then obsessively listening to that cast recording for about five years. Yeah. And my other story about it is that, well, well, A, when I listened to it, it changed my mind about what musical theatre could be. Yeah. You know, it was it sounded so different to anything I'd ever heard before and it also s- spoke to me on a level of, you know, here were people talking about how they wanted to live their lives and about emotions and things like this that, you know, Oklahoma, like Rogers and Hammerstein don't talk no. about those well, things. Well, they don't talk right? about sex either, right? Like, yeah, exactly. About sex. The existence of sex. Yes. And it, so there was just lots of things in it that I was, uh, oh, my God, this is this is a musical? What yeah. What are you talking about? You know? and, I mean, for you, though, like you had grown up really with opera. Like your parents yeah, had very true. opera. And so it's such a, it was such a different Genre. Yeah, yeah, and even the stuff I had listened to was your very standard, yeah. like Into the Woods and like Andrew Lloyd Webber shows, and yeah. just things that weren't really didn't feel like they were about real people and didn't feel like they were about right now. Yeah, and even though we're still talking at this stage about really about ten years before that, it still felt like it was about things that were happening right then and real people going through real things and talking about real emotions. So that was that was a big draw card, and the music was so different. I mean, the fact that it was so rocky. And not in a sort of Jesus Christ superstar Rocky way, no. not in a Tommy Rocky way. It, it was it was very different. Um, you know, the guitar and drums just being the driving force of yeah, things. Yeah, it was like a band, like yeah, a band. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, um, was a big deal. And then, you know, I was obsessed with it throughout all my teenage years. So and was I. Yeah, it's true. It's I was true. obsessed. And I went to New York for the first time in 2007 Ah, uh, so I was 20 and it was unfortunately the time when the stagehand strike was on in New York. And so all these shows that I thought I was going to see, I didn't get to see. There were some shows still running. Uh, I saw Young Frankenstein. That was my first ever Broadway show That's at 20. Cool. But very few. And so one of the shows I was going to see would have been Rent during its original run and I didn't get to you see it. You would have it. seen Oh my gosh! It was at, not the original cast. No, but no, the original but you would have run. seen the original run. Wow. Yeah, and uh, and of course I didn't get to, and I did get to see the show in New York in 2011. It, it did an off Broadway run for a year or so. Uh, came back after it had closed on Broadway, so I have gotten to see it in New York. But of course, it's not the same as seeing it in the Nederlander Theatre. Was that the first time you'd ever seen it when you saw it in New York in 2011? It was the first time I'd ever seen. A professional production of it. So you'd it. seen amateur productions. I'd seen quite a few amateur productions at yeah, that okay. stage. Yeah. Yes, quite a few. Mm-hmm. Haven't we all? <laughs> and and some of them, I mean, especially to begin with, when it first started getting done in Australia by amateur companies, there were some really good productions. Yeah. Because obviously 
every musical theatre nerd was obsessed with that show and would yeah. travel to be in it. And so there were some quite good ones. Yeah, right. Um, I can't picture that, but yeah. <laughs> so in terms of the history of the show and how it came to Broadway, I can't really talk about that without talking about Jonathan Larson, the composer, and the journey of his life and uh, and sort of how it ended up there. So Jonathan Larson had been working on the show for about seven years and it had finally, you know, New York Theatre Workshop, this um, theatre down in Lower Manhattan, which actually went to the, for the first time late last year. I saw Sing Street there, which is was due oh, cool. to open on Broadway soon. I, I'm hoping they come back yeah. after after the coronavirus epidemic is done. And uh, so I, I'd never been there before. So that was a real thrill, getting to go to that theatre for the first is that time. An, that's an off-Broadway theatre, is it? Yeah, so, like, it's considered off-Broadway in terms of the fact that it's less than it. 500 seats, but it's it's in lower Manhattan, so, yeah. like, right down the bottom, not nowhere near Times Square, in other yeah. words. Actually, I wonder if all of our listeners know about what constitutes a Broadway theatre That's true. Not. That's a little fun fact. Yeah. So a Broadway theatre has to have 500 or more seats. It has nothing to do with being location. on the street Broadway. Yeah. I mean, it has to do with location, obviously, in the sense that it's Manhattan. It's in New York, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yes, it has to have 500 or more seats. So there's actually only one Broadway theatre on Broadway, yeah. which is called the Broadway Theatre. <laughs> um, Off-Broadway is 100 to 499 seats yeah. and off-off-Broadway is 0 to 99 seats. Yeah. So, yeah, so New York Theatre Workshop is a is an off-Broadway theatre. I think it's about 200 seats yeah, maybe. Okay. Nice. Um, the public theatre where Hamilton started is also an off-Broadway theatre downtown. It's about 200 seats. Yeah, cool. So... Uh, yes, yeah, so it had received this – it had had a workshop at New York Theatre Workshop a, a few years before and it had received this uh, off-Broadway run. And it was January 24th, 1996. They'd had their final dress rehearsal off-Broadway. So it was due to start previews the next day. Yeah. And essentially they'd had this dress rehearsal. It had gone really well. And that night Jonathan Larson suffered an aortic dissection um, which was believed to have stemmed from undiagnosed Marfan syndrome. Mm. Um, so is a, it a, like an aneurysm? Is it similar to that? It's essentially an aneurysm. Okay. Yeah. So a heart. Um, How old was he at the time? Thirty-five. He was thirty-five. Oh my when he god! Died. And you know, he'd just quit. He'd been working on this show for years. He'd had this like waiter job yeah, this I've whole time, and, he, and he'd just quit. Um, finally, he was you know going to live his dream of of being a um, a working composer, and it. What, what was sort of, I think what was so a bittersweet for everyone, but also obviously the messages of the show are just so much about, more like, poignant. Live your life. And yeah. Live no your day but today, and, yeah. you know, and all these things obviously become so much more poignant when you know the circumstances surrounding his death. The fact yeah. that he never got to see it with a paying, yeah. you know, audience. Pretty tragic. Yeah, awful. And not just that, but he... You know, he'd been working towards this for so long and he would tell anyone who listened, I'm the future of American musical theatre. He would say that to everyone. It's a bit up himself. Well, I guess, but then aren't those the people that change the world? Like it's like, yes, okay, yes, maybe in a dinner party setting if someone <laughs> said that to you, you might be like, okay, Jonathan's had a few too many. But then, okay, but he did. He changed the face yeah. of musical theatre. And also to be honest, I have no problem with people self <laughs> I, like I, and I think I'm as, as Australians, we probably have that tall poppy thing where we're oh, like, yeah. "Stop talking yourself up." No, but talk yourself up. Go nuts. Yeah, I frequently do. If you really think you can change the world, then I think that yes, you should tell people that. Yes, he was like manifesting. That's exactly right. He mm -hmm. was manifesting, and so obviously that was a big deal. So 
he dies. The first preview is the next is that night. Do they keep it? Do they keep the preview? Essentially, his parents were already flying into New York because oh of um, the show, oh. and they say to them, "You know, do you want to go on?" And they say, "Yes, the show must go on." He would have wanted that. Yeah. And at first, they decide what they're going to do is that they're just going to all sit down and sing through the show. They're not going to do a full stage performance. But by the time they get to the end of Act One and Love E Boheme, it's kind of like no one can take it anymore, and they have to get up and, and do, do the show. Yeah. And so that is basically what happens and they end up doing the rest of the show full out. Um, but, yes, and then, of course, it turns into this enormous smash hit off-Broadway. You can't get a ticket. It's And then immediately they decide to move it to Broadway. So there's literally, I think, the cast have a two-week break in between it finishing off-Broadway and them starting teching on Broadway. So it opens on Broadway uh, in April 96, April 29th, 1996, and it becomes, of course, this worldwide phenomenon. I mean, mm. insane yeah. phenomenon. And uh, it runs on Broadway until September 7th, 2008, and so it currently it's the 11th longest-running Broadway show. Yeah, wow. Um, and in its Broadway run, it, so it was nominated for 10 Tony Awards. It won four. It won Best Musical that year. It won Best Book. It won Best Score. And uh, the actor who played Angel won Best Featured Actor. Do you know what it was up against for Best Musical? Oh, that's a good question. I know that uh, the one I found interesting, it's not a Best Musical, but like the Victor Victoria with Julie Andrews in it, like that was the same year. Oh, that wow. revival. Jeez. You, so when you think about really that, right? Together, do they? Yeah. yeah, when you think about some of those, and that was kind of Broadway at the time, like that was Jonathan Larson's yeah. thing was it's all he saw. Well, and the shows that were, the original shows that were running were things like Les Mis, Phantom, Miss Saigon. It was all the, the British explosion yeah, like of classic. musical theatre. Yeah. It was what was, he was like, I am the future of the American musical theatre because what was happening in the American musical theatre at that point? Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not wrong, was he? That's right. And so, yes, it was, it, it's not until you think about the fact that, yes, it was up against, say, like that revival of Victor Victoria that you're like, oh, this really was unlike anything that was happening. What year was that? that 96. Um, so it would have been the 96. 97 Tonys. 97 oh, no, sorry. It would have been the 96 Tonys, April. So in June, June 96 would have been the Tonys. All right, I'm going to find out because I just obviously have issue with this musical. And <laughs> I don't think it deserved best musical. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so it won the Pulitzer and until – That's our theme. It's our theme and also like musicals that change the face of American I, musical theatre. I didn't even realise we were doing a theme. I know. Literally, yes. <laughs> we don't pick these based on a theme but we always have to find one. But there's our theme. Um, it won the Pulitzer and it was until literally uh, two weeks ago was the only musical to have won the Pulitzer before it opened on Broadway. Yeah. So two weeks ago the musical A Strange Loop won the Pulitzer, wow. which hasn't even had – hasn't even announced the Broadway run. It had an off-Broadway run last year. Jeez, it must be good. Yeah, and so – and the other lovely parallel – so this won the Pulitzer just before – they'd announced their Broadway run, but it hadn't opened yet. Can I tell you the other musicals yeah, that were up for me? Are you ready? Bring in De Noise, oh, Bring yep. in De Funk. Yeah, I, I thought that might have been one of them. Chronicle of a Death Foretold. I don't know that one. And Swinging on a Star. Uh, yeah. See? So when you look at that list, maybe Rent did deserve to <laughs> Bring in De Noise, Bring in De Funk, I think was quite successful at the time. And yeah. it's not the sort of show that would get done here, but I believe it was quite successful on Broadway. <laughs> um, so, so Michael R. Jackson, who wrote A Strange Loop, also was a recipient of the Jonathan Larson grant. Oh, that's nice. And which is actually, was I just think, Lin so Manuel lovely. Lin Manuel never won it. Oh, really? He, and he actually has published his uh, um, sort of his submission letter as a, as an example of 
it's, Don't give up. it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't get this and I yeah. still, but some, I mean, Pasek and Paul won it. Yeah, Dave right. Malloy. It's some really great composers. Kerrigan and Loudermilk that we're talking about last week. Yeah. Some people that you will have definitely heard of yeah, have cool. won that grant. Uh, yeah. So they started this Jonathan Larson foundation after, after he died. And um, that's one of the things it does has this grant for upcoming musical theater composers that's as cool. part of it, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some of the versions that you can watch, um, if you want to, uh, they <laughs> filmed it. the they filmed the final Broadway cast. Um, li- literally, the, mostly it's the final performance in two thousand and eight. Yeah, cool. a- along with some other clips as well of from some other performances. Where can you see that? Like, is it on YouTube? Well, that's or a good question. Well, it'll depend on what country you're in. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think it's on that Broadway HD streaming service. If oh, nothing yeah. else, yep. I'm pretty sure it's on there. Cool. Uh, but that was released in cinemas and everything. Um, there is the 2005 feature film directed <laughs> by Chris Columbus. Now, I don't recommend the film. I Do you have... remember when we saw that? We saw it at the cinemas. Did we? It wasn't the first time I saw it, I can tell you that, because I can oh. tell you when the first time I saw it was, yeah. which is that I was still at university when that film came out. Yeah, and we saw it at Macquarie. That's where we did saw we? it. We saw it at the Mac. Okay, that yeah. must have been the second time I saw it. Oh, then. my God. I think I saw it at least three times at the cinemas. Now. Sure. It's objectively a bad film. It doesn't mean I didn't see it three time at the times at the cinemas. No, but you watched it because you love Rent. You didn't watch it because it was a good film. That's correct. Because it was a trash film. It is a terrible film. Oh, my God. So bad. It is so bad. But, yes, doesn't mean – so literally the day it came <laughs> out, I, I went to uni and I got there in the morning and I had a lecture or something and I sort of looked and knew it was the day it came out and went – what am I doing at university? I need to walk across the street to the cinema and go and see Rent at 10 a.m. on the day it comes out and sat there by myself bawling my eyes out in the cinema with no tissues, might I add. Why did you not bring tissues? I just didn't – well, I didn't think I was going to see Rent. I thought I was going to my culture studies (laughs) lecture. (laughs) And so went just – just cried my eyes out for two hours. God. And again, I have to say, I'm not someone who cries when I see shows normally. That's but true. that movie, I, I think seeing the mostly the original cast and everything. It was almost really entirely the original cast. Yeah. So jo- Joanne is different and Mimi and is Mimi, different. Yeah. And that's it. Um, but yes, it's uh, it was a terrible film, but it doesn't mean I didn't watch it obsessively for a period. <laughs> and then the other the other thing you can I'm sure get your hands on is Rent Live, which was the Fox, you know, we talked about the Jesus Christ Superstar NBC did a few years ago. Uh, the Fox television special that aired on January 27th, 2019. Why are you telling people about this? Well, because I have to tell you, so A, again, it was terrible, but it was terrible for a reason. Because Rent is terrible. No, Josephine, that's not the reason it was terrible. Ruth, you're wrong. You're so wrong. <laughs> so the reason it was terrible is that, Brennan Hunt, the actor who was playing Roger, broke his foot during the dress rehearsal. So they couldn't do it live. So instead they showed mostly footage of the dress rehearsal. Couldn't he just do it with a broken foot? Well, I don't really know why they didn't just do do a kind of a concert version instead. And then the bits that were live, he does have a broken foot, which I guess would have been the last section of the show after he broke his foot when they filmed it. But part of the issue is they're showing the dress rehearsal. So these – most people are not performing full out and you can tell they are so much flatter than they would have been if this was actually going to air live. Well, that's not good enough. It is not good enough. That's not acceptable. And it's also just so obvious when you're watching it. It's so unprofessional. But my my favourite thing is that, of course, you know at the end of the show um, they are bringing – 
you know, Mimi's gotten really sick again and they're bringing her back up. Um, like she, they hear her calling from the street. Yeah, let's talk about this part actually. Let's talk about it, Ruth. Come on. And basically in the final scene, you know, they're yelling, her, it's Mimi, I can't get her up the stairs. And and no. normally Roger would run to yeah. grab her and go, no. And, and basically this guy's got a broken foot. Oh. So he's sitting there with his broken foot on the chair just and it's like, just like, Holding his arms out to like, Mimi. Just to remain. And we, really we just like, I just like sent this meme to a few friends that was just like, no, rem- Roger remains seated. <laughs> you know, like, and also writes the shittest song. Doesn't of all even, time. doesn't. Well, so interestingly, okay, well, Is let's. Is it interesting? All right, let's start talking about why you hate the show. Okay, L- good. Tell me why you hate the show. Okay, to start with, it's not good. What? So let's start with the Roger song. Let's just start with that. The yeah. most obvious thing. Roger at the beginning of the show. Sings a beautiful song. Yeah. I would say the song of the show. Yeah. About wanting to write the perfect song. Yeah. Before he dies because he has AIDS. The song is beautiful. It's called One Song Glory. It's amazing. He's, he's literally talking about wanting to write the perfect song. And then at the end of the show, in this particular moment you were talking about, when Mimi is at death's door, he sings the song that he's been trying to write his whole life, the, the most beautiful song in the world, and it is utter shit. <laughs> it's called Your Eyes. In it's case called Your Eyes. Wondering. And it somehow it magically brings Mimi back to life. It shouldn't. It should have killed her. <laughs> like if I were Mimi and I heard that, that was the song that he came up with, I would be dead. So even Adam Pascal, who played the original Roger, dreamy Adam Pascal. Oh, I, I mean, my Adam God. Pascal. Oh, my oh, gosh. Everything. Stop it, Adam Pascal. Um, he, he has even said in interviews that he feels like Your Eyes is a really unfinished song. It is. Yeah. So part of my issue and – like I'm not the most sensitive person in the world. Maybe <laughs> maybe our listeners have figured that out. I'd say controversial things. I think part of the part of the mystique and the power of Rent is the fact that Jonathan Larson died the 100%. day before the previews. And it's almost like this show is memorialising him, but it also means that there's sort of this protective barrier around um, actual criti- critical discourse about Rent. It's been almost immune to to real um, feedback, I would say, for quite a period of time after it came out. And I think it never got the revisions and the and the true reviews that it should have at the beginning of its run, at the beginning of its previews. It was never properly revised and no one ever felt brave enough to say, actually, there's some huge holes in this show until a lot later. And so this cultural phenomenon had happened because, yes, it is it is groundbreaking for so many reasons, but it it's not finished it's not it, – there's so many imperfections. Like the main characters refuse to pay rent for fuck's sake. So, like, yeah, so I hear you. And I think that you're part of a real uh, sort of wave of people now that are like it's kind of cool to shit on rent, right? Like I do think that there has the, – the, the pendulum has I do think I'm sort very of, cool. <laughs> the pendulum has sort of swung the other way. Yeah. And that it became this sort of thing of, oh, rent, like that's a real 90s thing to love. Yeah. And – uh, two things. I think that you, yes, that's very true. The show is unfinished. I think yeah. everyone agrees with that. They they decided to not change anything else. And lots of people have gone on the record as saying if it was, um, if he hadn't passed away, there would have been things that would have changed. Yeah. I mean, he literally wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs for that show over the course of however many years yeah. and he was constantly rewriting. So I do think that there's there's there are elements of the plot and of even like lyrical moments I think of like, you know, um, you, me, me, oh, me, yeah. things like that that are quite naff that me, I think would have changed yeah. if, if you know, he had have lived. I mean, he literally, there wasn't a single preview, no, right? right? Like he died before public yes. performances had started. And so I do think that 
that, that yes, that that element is there, and I think it's both things. I think it it, it is the reason why nothing changed, mm. and it's the reason why people feel the need to sort of shit on that, right? Like I think it's both things. Yeah. I think that that, and I also think that. I agree with you that the reason that people revered it was because of the circumstances around mm-hmm. his death and that is what elevated it to this other level. But I also go, well, yes, but that's what happened. Yeah, no, and that's exactly right. Yeah. And without it, we would we would still be like in the Victor Victoria era, wouldn't we? And yeah. I think it's important. Like it's a very important work, much like Oklahoma. It's just not it's not there for me. It's not mm. done. Like it's, it's, and it's something not, about it has lost its it's mystique definitely lost or something its mystique. for you. I also do feel like the, maybe the portrayal of the AIDS epidemic is a little bit, it's a little bit sus, like a little bit iffy. Uh, so some of the criticisms I've read have basically said that it wasn't political enough. Mm. Like it, it, it was sort of like, yes, it portrayed these people with AIDS and A, that was groundbreaking. Like the portrayal of LGBTQ characters in it was incredibly yes. groundbreaking, literally just not done, right? Yeah. So that's a big deal. But, yes, it's like why aren't you railing against Reagan in it? And Well, there's, there's also no mention to just sort of like the vilification of people with AIDS or, or the struggle that they had to, yes. for getting medical care or like all of that is really glossed over. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and, and also the only characters who die are the two gay characters. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like, oh, it could have done better. And maybe that's just me being a whingy bitch, but it could yeah. have done a better Collins job. Collins doesn't die. Just Angel. No, no, just Angel. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. So look, I, it's hard. I've had these arguments. I've had these arguments with my husband who hates the show before as well. And he's always hated it though. He's right? always hated yeah. it right from the beginning. So he's not a pretender like me. No. I loved it when I was a kid. I loved it. And I think part of it is that he doesn't like the music. So yeah. I, whereas I'm sure you're someone that can still enjoy the songs. Yeah. There are some songs I would wh- still listen but, to. But have objections to the show. Yes. And like I love, um, love Viva Wem. Yeah. I know all the words to it. Yeah. I just love that many cultural references in exactly, a song. Exactly, exactly. So, for example, we've argued before about the fact that, like, for me, I don't necessarily think that every single piece of art that has any sort of political yeah, element to it to has to be every political element. Totally. I don't. I just think, like, I think that Jonathan Larson, Larson was writing a reflection of the New York that he lived in at the time and it was about – his universe mm. and we write what we know you yeah. know that's the the basis of art right you, you know we, we create things that we know and so for him it was just about their lives and how they went about their lives yeah. and for example in the in the year well in the few months leading up to his death they had two he had two close friends die of, of AIDS mm. and Gordon Pam and Ali who are all mentioned in the life support meeting yeah. as as people that are at life they're all three of his close friends that had died of AIDS in the in the previous few years that's their real yes. names and so things like that it was and because you know the, the spoof in um, Team America is everyone has AIDS which by the way when I saw that at the film at the cinemas hilarious. I was Catholic. laughing on the floor it is yeah. hilarious it is hilarious but for him that for them in New York that's how it would have felt yeah. it would have felt that way that's why so many characters do have HIV in yeah. it and it really was a reflection of how he feels mm. the world was I'd certainly agree that I just I I don't almost don't like the criticism whatever that was that you read that it didn't it wasn't political enough mm. I think well I mean you write a musical then you write a political musical yeah I know like, I, yeah and I, I have nothing against anyone not liking the show and I can see why if someone came at it now it's maybe. horribly dated yeah but but I also think that 
I also think that, and this is the, the argument that I have with my husband a lot, it's like, okay, but 11-year-old me, mm. it changed my world. Well, I mean, it talked about drug use. It talked about having sex. It talked about gay relationships. Like, it also talked about people who had decided to choose their own family. Like, their friend yeah. group became their family and it was about living their best truth and, and creating and being artists. And that is, that's a big deal when you're yeah. 11 or 12 and you exactly. first listen to this and you're those are new ideas. Yeah, exactly. And also... Even just, it's funny, like one of the criticisms I would have of it is the way that they treat their parents in the show, like the parents who are like constantly reaching out to them with love. That is such an adult me thing. Now, when I think about Mark's mum, like just pick up the fucking phone. I know, like maybe talk to your parents. I feel bad for the parents in the show. But it is one of the common, I think one of the common criticisms is that they're kind of unlikable people. They're just spoiled like young 20-somethings. But what I will say is that I think a lot of people, so have your criticism is like just pay your rent, right? But then... If I saw a production of Love OM, right, yeah. where they're also not paying their rent, I wouldn't be like, oh, those young <laughs> those young bohemians, why don't they get with the program and know yeah. that they – do you know what I mean? Like I feel like it's – because it's of our time. Well, no, but I think part of the issue is that then the guy who's asking for the rent to be paid is then vilified as a character who's awful because he wants – rent being paid on his building like I don't like that part of it yeah poor Benny Benny he's just just he owns a building he's trying to collect rent yeah because that is his livelihood no one pays him rent and suddenly he's the there is a great BuzzFeed article that is like Benny is the the most sort of like he's the best person in rent I think he is like why is he suddenly the villain yeah I know it's uh it's pretty funny (laughs) but um yeah I just think it's I I think it's one of those things like I said I just think it became a popular thing on the internet for a little while to just be like, let's shit on rent. <laughs> <laughs> like for no reason. Are there heaps of articles and stuff out there? Like could I go and find a community Yeah, there's a like great YouTube people? video. Um, oh, cool. Lindsay Ellis, who's this great YouTuber who does these video essays, who happens to love musicals quite a lot. She hates rent. Is she the one who has that amazing podcast, Musical Splaining? Yeah, Musical Splained, I think. Oh, or maybe it's Musical Splaining. I thought it was Musical Splaining. Yeah, you might be right, actually. Yeah, she does hate rent. Yes, she hates it. I haven't actually engaged in any Her online... video on the cat's film is excellent well of course she loved that right <laughs> who didn't cats the film i'm gonna do a whole episode just on cats the film which i haven't seen yet okay and i never will see i, I don't know why you saying that because i don't think you should do that why i think let's just keep going uh, poor cats <laughs> so poor terrible. cats um s- cats. <laughs> so anyway uh, moving on to like why i think like in defense of rent kind of thing, sure. right? Be my guest. So not just those things. Those are the things I think. Can I just do this every now and then when I disagree? <laughs> that bloody egg shaker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some of the things it really revolutionized that people may not be aware of, but like I said, the LGBTQ representation mm. in in mainstream theatre. Big deal. Uh, the uh, colorblind casting was really not as big of a thing until then. Yeah. Like, so literally just, it didn't, none of the, except for the fact that like Mimi was Hispanic, Mm. a lot of the characters just, it didn't matter. Like whatever race, whatever you were, it didn't matter. You know, you could be cast in rent kind of thing. And that was a big deal at the time as well on Broadway. Um, The fact that it, so it invented rush ticketing. So that didn't exist before What is rush ticketing? So if you, so what they did was they, the first two rows of the theatre, you could queue up and buy a $20 ticket for. That's nice equity. With the idea that, yes, the people who, you know, he is writing this show for Mm. that are represented in the show could still afford to see the show. That's great. And so um, 
it was rushed for quite a while, but unfortunately it became so popular that people were queuing up like for two days. And How, like, was that his idea, Jonathan Larson's idea? No, that was the producers of the show wow. started that. that. That's some cool people. Yeah. And so, but that now is a very common thing wow, on cool. Broadway. And even like it's reaching Australia. More and more what we're seeing in this day and age is a digital rush. So if you're on the app at 10 a.m. on the morning of the show and you press a button, you might get a, a cheap ticket for that night. Yeah, I was just saying, like thinking, I can't imagine anyone in Australia lining up to potentially see a musical. Like, yeah. I just can't imagine that happening in this country. Oh, Australia. Oh, it'd just be you and me. Yeah. Like, we'd be the only ones in the line. But, yeah, so some of these digital ones are becoming more and more popular. That's cool. um, Which is great. Yeah. Um, makes it a bit more accessible, you know, if you have to be at work or whatever on the day. Mm. So, um, yeah, so they invented rush ticketing, which is quite – that really revolutionised the way affordable tickets in um, – in New York and also so the rush became too popular so they changed it to a lottery which again is very popular on That's Broadway cool. so yeah. if you turn up at five o'clock and you put your name in um, and they they pull the names out at six o'clock and these 40 tickets or whatever available for twenty dollars for the people who, whose names gets pulled out and so again that, that is still done. that had never been done before rent nope Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, maybe rent's not that bad. <laughs> That's what's changed it well, for you? Well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Some sort of ticketing system. <laughs> um, the And the other thing, of course, was that it was in the mainstream cultural conversation in a way that a musical hadn't really been. Oh, yeah. Like ever. Yeah. And I don't think, to me, Hamilton is the only thing that has come close since. It's interesting because when I did my research for Oklahoma, the musicals that kept coming up were Oklahoma Rent and Hamilton. Okay. As like... The, the, the groundbreaking. It's just changing the conversation yeah. about musicals. Yeah. I, I think of those in terms of the average person having a conversation about a musical. Yes. Then well, like if you said to a random person who doesn't know musicals, name some musicals, it would be like Rent, yeah, Hamilton, exactly. Les Mis, exactly. Oklahoma. That would exactly. be Exactly. You know. So, yes, yeah, so it was really enormous. I mean, they were on the cover of magazines and all yeah. sorts of things. Well, they also looked like rock stars. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Adam Pascal had never so done theatre in his life. He was in a rock band mm. that had just broken up and Adam. someone had said to him, oh, they're looking for people. They want, like, rock singers for this musical downtown. Yeah. And so he went and did it and all they said was, if you can open your eyes while you sing, you've got it. <laughs> Unlike Josh Groban. Josh <laughs> Groban need not apply. <laughs> Well, I don't think also anyone's accusing jo Josh Groban of being a rock singer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then even just the fact is like back then off Broadway to Broadway transfers basically weren't really done. Like they, like they had happened, a chorus line's a good example, but yeah. it was not common. Whereas in the 25 years since. That happens all the time. All the time yeah. now. It's a really common way for something to end up on Broadway. Yeah. So like that again was a bit groundbreaking in terms of the way that the musical theatre um, was done. Just a couple of um, couple of fun facts. Um, it So La Boheme opened on the 1st of February 1896. So it was almost exactly the 100th anniversary when, oh, wow. when Rent started. I That's just thought cool. that was – I didn't know that until I was doing research on this and I thought that was quite amazing. Yeah. Um, and, of course, as we've talked about these junior editions, there's a school edition of Rent. A, rent, a junior Rent. They, yeah, they call it Rent School Edition. Well, how do they do So they that? take out Contact, the song oh, yeah, the Contact, song. which is where they're all having sex. Yeah. And they – think take out most of the swearing and so what are they left with and they take it they tone down the physical affection oh my god it's like okay but what's left what is left seriously oh wow um and then just one other talking point i wanted to touch on is and i again i didn't know this until i researched this show it's amazing i was saying to someone if a show comes out now 
then I've tended to, of course, like read the Wikipedia page or whatever, just yeah. in, in liking the show, want to know more about the composer and the show and things like that. Of course, when Rent came out in 1996, oh, that exist. wasn't available. No. <laughs> so there's actually a lot that I didn't know. I only knew the CD. I tell you what, musical theatre kid fans nowadays are so spoiled in terms of their access. Access to information, even like access to soundtracks. Because I was like you, I had to actually buy the CD. Yes. And I remember getting that double CD. I remember the day that that, you know, the double and the I think it was inside like insert 50. broke. It was expensive. Very Double expensive. CDs were so expensive. So expensive. Fifty Australian dollars. I think I paid the same thing. Maybe I still have it somewhere. I have. I still have my discs. I got rid of all my cases. Yeah, I'm the same. but I have I all my discs like a, in a CD wallet because that was precious. Like that was a lot of yeah. money. Yeah, I and I. Wore I wore it. that CD yeah, down. 100%. 100%. It's also, I think it was the first time I'd ever listened to a soundtrack and hadn't needed to skip anything because it's mm. it's basically rock opera, right? Yeah, it is. It is a rock opera. Um, there's only like a couple of bits of dialogue within the show. So you you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, correct. As a complete And piece. watching the show, like, like, yeah, you can listen to it and get a sense of the entire show. Yes, correct. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is just to do with kind of authorship and copyright and licensing oh, issues. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. So um, I, we touched on it when I talked about Spelling Bee Last. This is a bit of a pet peeve project, whatever, of mine, but I just I think it's really important. And I think it's a really important message for anyone listening who is young or is embarking on any sort of creative endeavour in which there might be the possibility of licensing plagiarism. or – Well, not no, not so much plagiarism. I mean in terms of um, – who are the authors of a work who yeah. are getting, you know, we talked about in Spelling Bee, those original actors getting a piece of the authorship. Because they contributed to That's the making right. of it. And so that is how a lot of composers and writers make their living, yeah. right? It's not about a show getting to Broadway, really. I mean, it is, but then it's that show being performed all over the world right. in schools and community theatres and that is really how they make their yeah, living. Yeah, it's the licensing afterwards. Exactly. So there's there's two elements of Rent that I wanted to, because I didn't know this. but Didn't you? Jonathan Larson didn't come up with the concept of Rent. No. So a man called Billy Aronson came up with the concept in 1988 and in 1989 he started collaborating with Jonathan on this idea of an adaptation of Love O.M. Yeah. And they wrote a few songs together um, and then it kind of petered out and then in 1991 Larson basically asked Billy Aronson if he could have the project himself and they just drew, drew up a simple letter that basically said yes Aronson was fine with that and that if it ever made money that he would receive a share and get a credit for original concept and additional lyrics yeah and he has had that ever since great so I mean that man would be a millionaire well, yeah. just from that a percentage but of the he came up with the concept yeah. like that's fair enough right of course and they made it very clear which I think is amazing and fantastic it's very important like conversely, Lynn Thompson was the dramaturg um, in, at New York Theatre Workshop and so she was hired by New, New York Theatre Workshop as a dramaturg and for her work there she was paid $50 a week and basically once the show had opened after Larson had passed away and everything, she sued the Larson estate for like a co-authorship credit mm. um, and, and a, she worked a percentage of royalties. she extensively on it. She did. Now, I think the thing is, and, 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 and she lost yeah, both she her case and her appeal. Yeah. Um, and in the end, the Larson estate did settle with her for an undisclosed sum or percentage um, outside of court. But what I think is, I think there's a couple of things that are important there. What they sort of determined was that she was never like she was never considered to be a co-author. She was a dramaturg, which meant that yes, she did contribute um, to the show. But that was always her intended job. Correct. Mm. She was being paid for the job that she was doing. Yeah. Now, if you 
um, think that what you are doing is somehow much more than you are hired to do, that's when you have the conversation Mm -hmm. about receiving some sort of percentage instead of this amount per week, right? I think her suit came as a result of its immense success rather than... Correct. Yeah, okay. And and the thing is that I think the reason she lost is she went for co-authorship, not for like... Contributions. That's right, exactly. And so I know that I think there was something like the Larson estate offered her one, one or 2% to begin with before it ever went to court and she mm. turned it down. Jeez. And actually that probably would have been a, a fair – Yeah, well, A, a lot of money, but a fair amount for really what she'd done. Yeah. Because she was brought in as a dramaturg. Yeah. So she was doing the dramaturgical work. Now, I think that's really important work and I'm sure she probably did feel screwed over to a certain extent. But I also think it's just so important to have these conversations early. You know, I've seen it happen even in my short life, mm. people who have made contributions to – to pieces of art that have gone on to have bigger success than they necessarily thought they were going to and agreed to some small lump sum or something at the beginning and then and instead feel- of a percent an ongoing percentage and now they don't get anything from that and it's that's so important yeah, and I, if there's one thing I can like impart to people it is that have those difficult conversations early yeah. where it's clear what the authorship is if you are creating something that might eventually have some sort of licensing potential it's a very big deal because yeah. yeah like I've seen people really stung by that so yeah, yeah. so anyway I just thought that was really interesting I didn't realize either of, that either of those people were sort of involved in mm. the in the authorship um and then, uh, so if we're talking about gateway songs of this show, oh yeah, um, so I agree. One song, Glory, definitely. So it the is Adam a great Pascal, song. Adam Pascal singing it. Oh, again, listen to the Broadway cast, people. Do not listen yeah. to any of these other no, cast. It's got to be the original Broadway cast. It has to be. It's none of them compare. Yeah. Um, I agree. Lovey Bohem, definitely. I love that song. I, I mean, I know everyone's heard it, but but Seasons of Love is also an important song. Oh, stop giving me that face, Josephine. I'm just curling my lip <laughs> a little bit. It's so. Ugh. But it's a very accessible. It's almost like a parody without even you don't have to change it. Like it's a parody already. And then the other song I would say is "Take Me or Leave Me." I think is also a good representation That's of great. yeah the show. So, like it's a lovely duet. Yeah, yeah. I also just want to give a quick shout out if you are someone who's listening who loves the musical Rent and you happen to love Tick Tick Boom, which is the other musical there. Tick Tick Boom is so good. Tick Tick Boom is an excellent show. I much prefer it to Rent. Um, again, so that was after he had passed away, and they. He'd written the show, but it was written as a one-man show, yeah. and they took it and turned it into a three-person yeah, um, show, a three piece, yeah. uh, and it was it was done after his passing. But in 2018, 54 Below did a concert, which is now an album called the Jonathan Larson Project, oh, cool. and they took a bunch of his sort of unfinished demos and sheet music that he'd written, a whole bunch of like back catalogue stuff that obviously never got recorded or um, released and they made a whole show and album out of it oh, nice. and it's really worth listening to it's on Spotify and everything so if you are a fan of his there is other stuff out there to listen to I wonder if anyone could ever like go through all of his back catalogue and find the song that should be at the end of Rent that, <laughs> that should be instead eyes. of your eyes yeah like I wonder if we could find one of his songs that would fit there better. I'm going to guess that his estate won't agree to that Josephine well uh, they should rethink that <laughs> <laughs> I think they're incorrect are you still in your rent hating mode did anything I say um, change I, any of your mind uh, no the actual the musical itself the actual work I don't like I just right. don't like it anymore I don't it's it feels too dated yeah I don't enjoy the I think because the music is so done like for example seasons of love I can't listen to that I just can't do you think you would feel the same way about Oklahoma if you didn't know that revival existed yes I probably would feel the same way yeah I, I would still appreciate it for its nostalgia but I wouldn't 
I wouldn't say it was, you know. But I don't know if you would actively hate it the way you actively hate rent. Yeah, and I think maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just a follower of people. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I think you did say that. <laughs> I'm just saying that a lot of people have the same opinions as you. Well, then maybe everyone has a good point. Did <laughs> you think of that? I don't know. I um, I suppose, yeah, I, I just suppose it just grates on me a little yeah. bit. And I also don't like that it's so popular. I think that also what a lot of people don't tend to like is – there's this thing I've read that's basically you can't have an unlikable sort of well in this case talking about a protagonist yeah, but in the so case unlikable. of Ren a lot of people really feel like most of the characters are quite unlikable I think that's the thing is that there's not really someone I can get on board with yeah like Angel's sort of painted to be the person that you're supposed to like the most and at the beginning he she kills a dog yeah that's right. Literally like it's at the so very awkward. But like this is your introduction to Angel. And of course in La Boheme the character that, that Angel's based on kills a parrot. I yeah. That's what they've changed it from. But, but it's also really random like, oh, you've just tried to mirror La Boheme there. Yeah. Well, it is. It's an adaptation of La Boheme. I know, but was that necessary for that character? <laughs> Could we maybe have had no animals die? Well, yeah. Like I'd really prefer that. And also it's the dog of the person you're supposed to hate, yeah. Benny. Like what? I really struggle with that. I struggle with the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think your one of your dogs must have heard us talking about a dog because <laughs> I can hear a dog outside the door. <laughs> that's pretty cute. Yeah. So that's Ren. Well. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a note to end it on. <laughs> oh goodness. No. Look. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks for telling me about that. Yeah. I think that, and I I agree. I think we can love things and think they're problematic, yeah. and as long as we acknowledge that, yeah. and oh, and are and are aware that critical discourse needs to exist mm. and we can still love something despite its critical discourse. I think that's the thing that I that really I took away from my research about Oklahoma and from you hearing from hearing you talk about Rent. I still really appreciate One Song Glory, for example. Yeah. I love 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 Eboem, the yeah. song. I love that. Um, I just love so many elements of the show, but I don't like the show. And as you a can whole. be glad something exists without I liking it. I am glad it. it exists. I am. I, it, I feel that way about Phantom of the Opera. <sighs> It does mean – it means a lot for the history of musical theatre and yeah. that's important. Yes, exactly. And also like it really did spawn a lot of other awesomeness. Yeah. Like I know Lin-Manuel Miranda talks about Rent as being sort of like Def- quite he, he is directing the Tick, Tick, Boom film. Yeah. I really do love Tick, Tick, Boom. If you can get a hold of – Again, Tick, Tick, Boom is not available on Spotify. <laughs> it is one of the albums that I have written to – Yeah, I actually – I have written to the um, record company about yeah. and I have actually had quite an extensive Facebook Messenger conversation with them where they said, oh, no, it's on Spotify. It is And I was not. like, no, it's on American Spotify. It is not on Australian Spotify. I and love here's Tick, my Tick, proof. Boom. Same. Yeah. And it was prescient. When you talk about a show being prescient, some of the messages in Tick, Tick, Boom – yeah. My goodness. Also lovely nods to Stephen Sondheim, which I very yes, much appreciate. Yes, Sunday. And Stephen Sunday. Sondheim was a um, mentor of Jonathan Larson's. Yeah. Yeah, a big yeah. mentor of his. It, and interestingly, um, in Oklahoma, Oscar Hammerstein II was a mentor of Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. So we've got a nice little musical theatre dynasty. Exactly. About exactly. Mm, nice. Excellent. Ah, so will I see you next week? You shall. Yay. All right. Please like, uh, rate, Review. review. Yeah, please review. We want heaps of reviews. Yeah. Be nice to us. Subscribe. Though. Subscribe. Keep us at number four, if not higher. Yeah, go nuts. Um, like the Instagram or follow us on Instagram. Please like my posts, even though I'm not as funny as Ruth is <laughs> with her posts. Please like them. <laughs> please like me. All right, have a great week, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.